Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. I'd like to start right at the beginning. We're going to be talking a lot about acquisition. Precisely what does that mean? Acquisition is one of the grand engineering problems. It starts off with stakeholder requirements, plus a lot of money, a lot of time, and at the end, you get a commission system, turnkey, ready to go. Of course, along the way, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and other forms of human excrement, but uh, that's the way these things go. Acquisition. Acquisition is characterized by a couple of very interesting trends. What you see here, starting in 1969 to about the late 90s, is how long does it take from the start of the project to the IOC? That doesn't stand for International Olympic Committee. It stands for the Initial Operational Capability. When was the system ready for whatever it was supposed to do? And you can see it goes up. Currently, it's running at about nine to ten years. That's absolutely appalling. I mean, technology runs with a, with, away with us in ten years' time. When did iPhone come out, Alwain? Uh, you're asking me with my memory. You haven't got one. 2007, five years ago. The iPad is about three years ago. Over 10 years, technology is way, 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 way over. You know, it's just ridiculous. Serious problem. We can't run things like this. Second problem, for unprecedented systems. What's an unprecedented system, Francois? It's a new system which hasn't been, something which hasn't been done before. And we have got no experience on it whatsoever. Icky-wizzy rules. What does that mean? <laughs> it's, it's, it's the old professor, the old um, judge who in a court case, somebody, and he says, I can't define pornography, but I'll know it when I see it. <laughs> and that's what Icky wishes me. I know it when I see it. And sorry, when it's an unprecedented system where nobody has any experience, you can't ask a guy, what are your requirements for this? Gavin, you're probably old enough to remember this. 1980s, Dan Brickland came out with VisiCalc. Remember? Mm -hmm. Now, in those days, if somebody asks you, what are your requirements for a spreadsheet? Hmm? What's that? It's pointless asking a user what his requirements are. He's got absolutely no experience about it. You're wasting your time. And that's fundamentally true for an unprecedented system. Many of the things we're doing today are unprecedented or pretty close to it. Pointless asking the user. He doesn't even know. You can clap him and tell him he's doff. Doesn't help. And there's a very good quote, an ancient quote, which makes that point quite well. Argued in terms of software. Software requirements cannot ever be stated fully in advance, not even in principle, because the user doesn't even know them in advance, not even in principle. Why? The development process itself changes the user's perceptions of what's possible, increases his insights into his own environment, and indeed often changes that environment itself. Any software development activity inevitably changes the environment out of which the need for software originally arose. Software development should take into account that the user his needs and his environment all change during development. Wise words, 
Michael Jackson way, way, way back in 1982, 30 plus years ago. And it's very true. Life cycle concept considered harmful. <clears throat> Which is an important point because, let me make the point, systems engineering follows software engineering. If you want to know what systems engineers will be doing five years from now, see what the software guys are doing today. Because most of the things that happen in systems engineering have already happened in software. The issue about requirements elicitation, requirements management, the issue of evolutionary acquisition as we'll be talking about, architecture, all old software engineering issues. Of course things aren't exactly the same. May I ask, may I show these guys some jokes? Um, Quibbers? It's the only way you're here. Don Martin special, one day at lunch. Man, and here's this guy sitting down and he is very hungry and his wife brings him some nice hot steaming food and check it on. Check him wagging his tail and, and drooling. And the man decides, ah, throw him a piece of meat, man, keep him happy. And that's what he does. And the dog gob gobbles it up and as he swallows, he says, ah, ah, and the man's hair stands up straight and checked as you want in the mood and and the guy puts two and two together and he says my wife is trying to poison me she's, she's found out I'm sleeping around and he talks to his wife and check what Mark you want sorry check what Mark you want no man check what Mark you want with a dog like that you've got lots of sports at home man yes Another issue that's happening more and more, funds will only be made available in increments. You won't get a big lot of money now, you'll get a drip, drip over time. We better adapt to things like that. Example of some modern systems, the Apple iPod digital music player. Have you heard of one, John? You know what that is? <laughs> Starting in 2001 all the way to about today. Look at what happens. The so-called classical model, based on a small little uh, uh, hard disk drive, eight generations in about six years. New model, the mini model, two generations discarded. New generation, the nano model, seventh generation at the moment. Shuffle model, four generations discontinued. Touch model, touchscreen, five generations over a very short period of time. Here is where Steve Jobs died, that's probably why there was nothing issued over there. But you can see, if it is a useful system with a market, it's going to change considerably over time. You might say this is all very true, but this is small consumer electronics, man. This is not real, the real world. True. Here's the Boeing 737. It's a wonderful aircraft. At now, at this point, about one and a half thousand of them are flying, in the round, are flying in the air. They reckon every five seconds one takes off or lands. I mean, it's a very, very ubiquitous aircraft. Huge iron. Look at this. The original model, a couple of variations. There was some space there about, but look, there's the classic model, and there's the next generation model. Check it, all those variations as it, and the next one, 2017. Point is, even for huge systems like this, things change the whole 
time. And that's a very important insight. A system that is successfully used is a living, dynamic thing that continuously evolves. If it doesn't evolve, it ain't successful. It goes hand in hand. And that's a profoundly important issue. That means, amongst others, the development of a successful system does not end when, it's, when it has first been commissioned, but occurs throughout the life cycle. It never stops. If it doesn't do that, it ain't successful. Now the question is, that's not the way we do acquisition. Shouldn't we do acquisition according to these issues, according to these ideas? And that's essentially the thinking behind evolutionary acquisition. Let's start right at the beginning. <clears throat> On the vertical axis we have the requirements of the user, horizontal axis we have time. And the conventional, traditional way of doing it, we start off with defining the user's requirements. Difficult, but we define it, write it up, whatever. And we start the project. And after a long time, there's the, the, the system that we deliver, and that satisfies all the user's requirements. That's known as the sequential, do each step only once approach, where you're a single step, and you end up with a, full, with a full capability. And that's the way most people think about how we do acquisition, and it's dead wrong. Because if you look at what we just said, that's not the way things happen in real life. Let's look at another approach. Same two axes, requirements, time. And we start off with defining the user's requirements, as before, and we start the project. However, what we do now, we develop Mark 1. It's a subset of the total requirements, not all of them, but a subset. Since it's a subset, we can fill that very rapidly. And another one, Mark 2 over there, and Mark 3, for argument's sake, satisfies the requirements of the users. So rather than developing it in one fell swoop, why don't we do it in steps? And at least we're in the market, we can give the customer something to start working with. All we need to do is to develop that delta over there, and of course develop the delta over there. What we then do is we insert new technology and existing requirements in between those various versions. And that's what it does, insert pre-planned requirements because we knew up front what that was and that was. And new but mature new technologies. This is known as incremental acquisition and it has a lot of benefits because you're in the market faster and you can more rapidly satisfy the user's requirements. Yeah, natuurlijk mag jij. XTM ADM is niet rechtig hier die verschillende versions niet. Dat is net om die technologie te bewijzen. In zeker te maken is op die rechte pad en je weet jij die die ontwerp van die stelsel is oké. Dus development models. Dat is niet goed wat jij aan die cliënt beschikbaar stelt. Jullie is goed wat jij verkoopt. Staat het in die markt beschikbaar? Windows 7, Windows 8. But it's starting to get a, a, a respectable operating system. 
Had they started with this approach, Microsoft would not exist today. You remember Windows 1? It was a real cuck system. You know, Windows 3.1, that started becoming, but it's exactly this kind of stuff that they did. Actually, product, absolutely, absolutely. You helemaal aan them. You happy, sir? Sorry, what? And maybe another, another thing is XDMA and TPMC, those, those models also all aim at the full functional requirements, whereas what Buck's saying is that this is building up its functionality in time. Sure. We don't satisfy the full requirements with the full one. The other point is that the XDM, hopefully, you can do with computer simulation. You don't have to build a hardware model. These aren't models. They're real things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That remains all the same. I'll, 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 I'll try to remember to make that point later on. Okay, that's incremental acquisition. And that's a huge improvement over the previous one. Here is what it really boils down to. The in-state requirements are known assumption. That may be totally wrong, but that's the assumption. It's, it's known as defined and deferred. Work is deliberately postponed to a later version. So we just postpone it until pre-planned insertions. New versions are based on new but mature technologies. And we, we, we intelligently insert new technologies. And early commissioning of partial functionality is always better than waiting for the full functionality. That's the approach, and that's virtually always true. Divide the requirements, not the system. To go back to, to the a vehicle has four wheels. A vehicle with one wheel, will that be any use? <laughs> Keep on dreaming. <laughs> the point is that first version, the first mark, it better be a useful something to the customer, else you're wasting your time. And that, of course, is the key thing. Divide the requirements, not the system. The system architecture should not change as you go from one version to the next one to the next one. We'll talk about the architecture. If that's what you, if the incremental one works well, watch this one. Here we start the project. We're not that arrogant that we um, assume that we know what the user wants and what his requirements are. We don't know. He doesn't know either. Pointless asking him. So we bring out Mark 1, and we bring out Mark 2, oops, and we bring out Mark 3. And each time, hopefully, we just need to develop those deltas. And again, we insert in between opportunistically insert emerging requirements as they are revealed in the market, as people start using this new technology, and new requirements emerge. And again, new but mature technologies. The key point is what happens there, and what happens there, and it is actively elicit emerging requirements. Now that's what we learned from the software people. Elicitation of requirements. Point is asking him, you've got to watch what he does. You've got to have fancy marketing techniques to find out what those requirements actually are. But the point is, we don't know where we're going. The market will reveal the way that we should be going. Completely different approach. This 
is spiral acquisition. The approach is here, in-state requirements are not knowable, and hence that's not known. In principle, they're not known, that's what that, that's what that quotation earlier on stated. Actively elicit user feedback to define new emerging requirements. Follow the market. Characterized as amorphous, opportunistic. Go as you can pay, which is not a bad way to look at it. New versions are based on new but mature technologies. Yeah, an example of evolving stuff. Another visit to the dentist. Man, and here is this guy. He goes to the dentist and he says, it's my front tooth doctor. It seems to have grown a lot longer than the others. And check this dentist, man. Check I turner. He's the cleaning his nails with, you know, that's what they normally do with a drill, you know. And, and, and the dentist has a good examination, checks him out, and he says, oh, it's just a little loose, man, that's all. He says, I'll simply knock it back into place. And there with his mallet and his backhand, he's going to donor that tooth. The Czechai tongue bond, that's a very long, yeah, this guy's got a problem, man. And bang! Man, this is exactly what he learned at dentistry school. And, and, and there's this poor guy walking around, and check those toes, man. And the, and the dentist is very proud of his handiwork. And after a while, the guy comes to, and he feels his tooth, and he says, by golly, you did it, I'm normal again. Now I can go to parties, have fun. He says, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this, doctor. You're a real credit to your profession. Verstaan jy dit? Kan ons door een kom kom? Ek wees een joke en lach jy hoor. Luidrachtig. Sublief. Nee, 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 nee. Dis nie die type jokes nie. Ok, just to, to, to summarize the whole thing. Do each step only once, the traditional one. Define all requirements up front? Yes. Multiple cycles? No. Full requirements satisfied? Yes. User feedback? Not applicable. Incremental. Define order? Yes. Multiple? Yes. Full requirements? No. User feedback? No. And then we have spiral? No, we don't know what those requirements are. They are unknowable. Mul oops. Multiple acquisition cycles? Yep. Full requirements? Of course not. User feedback to the file? Of course. They are fundamentally different, these two. Both of them are known as evolutionary, but they're different. There was a long confusion throughout the world what these two were and what the differences were. This is the current definition, and it con it's consistent and it holds. That's what is meant with incremental as opposed to spiral. Now, you may think, it, at first thought, it appears that the time between the two versions, as I've shown it there, is the same as the development lead time. But that's, of course, not true. You can define the requirements for Mark III somewhere over here already, so that you have a longer 
development lead time than between the various versions. And this is especially true, for instance, if you want to go to a completely new architecture. That is going to take a long time, but you can plan that pretty far in advance. So the development lead time can be much longer than the duration between the... It's an important point. Now, this is what this software people call acquisition. It's known as the waterfall model. And if there's one terrible thing that a software guy can tell you, it's you're using the waterfall model. Man, that is, that is worse than the lowest of the low. It was, it was written, and it's essentially you know, a sequential process. Since this becomes a very long, so no pranky, the guy drew it out and it, it became a waterfall. Paper in, in, in 1970, Winston Royce, he didn't call it a waterfall, but he described this process. And of course, that's what software decided, this started off with um, fairly early in its life cycle, or in, 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 in software engineering. This has now been replaced by paper by Barry Byrne, the so-called spiral model. Now, this is a complicated story. I am not very good at geometry, and I really don't understand this. You start there, and you go around that spiral once, you go around it a second time, and that's how you spiral out. What that means is you start over there, and you first do that first quadrant. Determine the objectives, the alternatives, and the constraints. And then you evaluate alternatives, those ones, you identify and you resolve the risk, risk analysis. That may require a prototype. And then develop, verify the next level product, the next increment. And there the normal, what happens in, in software development, design, coding, testing, unit, etc. And then, last quadrant, plan the next phases. And that's basically what happens. You start there, do all of those first four things, and then decide another of those four things. That's the spiral model, the way it was originally described by Barry Byrne. He's a, he's a fellow of INCOS. Uh, when you look in the, in the dictionary, they call that a spiral. And they call this helix a spiral as well. No wonder people are confused with spirals. If you look at the American military, who have, who have defined this pretty closely, this is the waterfall model, quote, end quote, for normal systems. You see over here engineering development, manufacturing development, industrialization. There's production and, of course, course commissioning deployment and there are operations and support up front technology development and the strange thing they call material solution analysis the details aren't particularly important there's a milestone a a milestone b and a milestone c to go into production the, the details aren't particularly important but we'll talk about this a couple of times that's sort of the standard in america current version of acquisition. When you look at the same document, when they talk about evolutionary development, they do this. They say, there's the first iteration to give you increment number one. There's the second one to give you increment number two. There's the third one to give you increment number three. In each case, you basically follow the traditional, classic 
acquisition approach. That's the way that the, that, that, that the evolutionary approach is defined by the Americans. Now, John, one afternoon in Acapulco. Hey Amen. And here you and here is this Murva high cliff, man. You know, and, 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 and about three thousand meters below you can see the ocean there. And there's this guy right over there, he's gonna dive down this. Nobody has ever done this before. He's the first in the world. Man, and all his pals are there, and the media is there, because this is absolutely stunning. And there you can see the guy going through his motions, you know, oh man, he's really, he's got this down to a fine art. And he launches himself into the air, and there he goes. Check, man, check those hairs of his, and look at his fingers and his toes. This is wonderful. And he makes a, a barrel roll and a lateral summers, oops, somersault, and 3,000 meters below that, he hits the water. And check by who like it our honor. There you can see all these guys, man, he thinks he's the first one. Dozens of guys have already done this before. And this must nest on us now. We always think we're the first in the world. Yeah, there are very few things that are first in the world. This is what the Americans say about evolutionary acquisition. This is the, 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 the top-level directive. There is no one best way to structure an acquisition program to accomplish these objectives. True. Advanced technology shall be integrated into producible systems deployed in the shortest time. Practical, yeah, of course. Approved time-phased capability needs matched with available technology and resources enable evolutionary acquisition strategies. Evolutionary acquisition strategies are the preferred approach to satisfying operational needs. And it says incremental development is the preferred process for executing such strategies. In 2000, in 2000 they said spiral development. In 2007, that's been changed to incremental, with, you know, the, the, the differences as we defined it earlier on. There were some problems with spiral if you go to more hardware type of systems as opposed to software intensive systems. Oops. If you look at the, if you, if you study ISO 15288, the, the classic systems engineering standard on life cycle processes, it defines the life cycle as evolution of a system from conception through retirement. Life cycle is being defined in terms of evolution. It's a, it's a very important change. Now, I'm sure you all know project management, the old triple constraint, there's a certain work scope you've got to do, limited amount of time, limited amount of money. Now, in traditional project management, the work scope, the amount of work you're going to do is fixed, and that in turn determines oops, how long it's going to take and what it's going to cost. There's another approach known as time boxing, which is a strange name, but what it means is that we fix the duration, and you fit however much work you can into that duration. Time boxing. And time boxing is very closely linked to evolutionary acquisition. Previously we say, these are the requirements. 
deliver it, and, you know, whatever period it takes, do it. With time boxing, we say, I want an answer in three months. Give me whatever requirements you can satisfy by that date. And a typical time box duration is short in software, 30 to 90 days. And, and as the saying goes, time box, don't scope box. And that's a, that's a very neat approach, very useful too. Examples. Intel's three-team approach. Intel has, at any point in time has about three teams. Team number A are developing specification-driven version N of some other chip or some other integrated circuit, version N. At the same time, the second team is testing that, trying to destroy it, trying to find out whether it works or not. Validation, verification. Team three is at the same time looking at the market. What's the opposition doing? What are our customers doing with our stuff? What's happening with technology? And in the process, define the requirements for the next version. So three teams working at the same time, and team number one, second round, will take the role of team number two, and they, and they switch around. An example of evolutionary acquisition. Some software people do this. No project cycle shall exceed 2% of the total project duration without delivering practical, measurable benefit to the customer. If it's a one-year project, every week you've got to develop, deliver a new version. That is practical, measurable benefit, not to you, to the customer. That's a very tall order, but that's the thing people are doing. Evolutionary acquisition. Now, immature technology has always been a key driver of cost and schedule growth. And immature technology, blue sky technology, and we're trying to push that into production. It doesn't work. Now, the question is, how do you know technology is immature? The NASA came out in 1989, a long time ago, um, with what they call technology readiness levels. And this is a Mickey Mouse picture. It shows you from level 1, which is totally blue sky, to level 9, actual system flight proven through successful mission operations. And a whole range in between, and each one has a particular definition. The ones which are relevant to us is level 5, component and or breadboard validation in a relevant environment. It has the full functionality, but not the form and not the fit of what we one day want to accomplish. And that's tested in a lab. Level 5. Then we have level 6, system subsystem model or prototype demonstrated in a relevant environment. This is where we have the complete functionality and the form and the fit that we one day wish to accomplish. And we test that in a lab in a relevant environment. Between five and six, it's a huge step. And then we have level seven, system prototype demonstration in an operational environment. It's the real thing, but in a real life environment. Levels. Technology. Technology. Man, what mark you the bloody them for you? Covers. 
There were five, six. <laughs> Gee, I think this is an XDM. Hey? It's not this. <laughs> Level five, six, seven. Huge differences between them. That's the modern approach of trying to get our arms around. What do we mean with mature technology? The definitions are vague. Next year, an ISO will come out. ISO standard definition of technology readiness levels and their criteria of assessment. Trying to, 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 to get the, the, the commonality between the military and the NASA people and the ESA, the European Space Agencies, and whoever is using this stuff. Watch the space. Now, there's the old acquisition process. Here is the start of engineering development, manufacturing development. The Yanks say this. All critical technologies, when we start technology development, need to have level six or higher. That's not Mickey Mouse. That's good. I mean, there's a lot of work that's happened. And when you start development, level seven or higher. That's the rule, what the Yanks do. And it is to make sure that guys don't take chances because the project manager will say, this is level eight, man, what's your bloody problem? So they want to get an independent review to, to, to really uh, uh, certify that it's true. So that's what the rules say. Example of a, of a, of a recent acquisition project, United States Army, the so-called Future Combat System. This is all singing, all dancing. Replace mass with superior information based on the quality of firsts. See first, understand first, act first, and finish decisively. Marketing jargon. Engineers don't write stuff like that. But it's, it's good stuff. The point is, we're talking about an armored vehicle, and to protect the people inside, you need armor. But the more armor you've got, the less mobility you've got. It's always the trade-off between mobility and, and armor, or, or protection against, armor protection. And what these guys did is say, man, why don't we use information? Then we don't need no armor. And it's a complicated system. Oops. Complicated system. There you can see lots of ground vehicles, all in a common chassis, a combat system, infantry uh, uh, vehicle, command, etc. And unmanned aerial systems, unattended ground systems, unmanned ground vehicles for logistics and all, manned, and right in the middle, a network. I mean, this is a very network-intensive, network-centric development. Good stuff. Here is the actual achievement and the predicted achievement. When the project started, May 2003, 10 years ago, 42 were less than 5, 10 critical technologies were at level 6, 0, level uh, 7 and higher. They were all supposed to have been there. So they're starting with a disadvantage. That's immature technology. According to the rules, you shouldn't start the project, or at least not use those technologies. Total of 52, August, July, January. It's better. They dropped some technologies because they changed the scope, but still 37 where they should be, well, where they should have been there, four there and three there. They predicted start of development, 
to have, which it was later in, 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 in 2009, all of a sudden, fatty. And what happened is that those fatty one should have been at that level. And because of this reason, very simple reason, the project was cancelled. Stop them. Because these guys are clearly, you know, just buggering around. The technology is not mature. These guys tried to write it off. Nice trick as evolutionary acquisition. Yes, we know the technology is not mature yet, but we'll put that into the next version, you know. You know, nice marketing speak. But they were caught out. It's one of the first big projects claiming to have used evolutionary acquisition, but you see the bloody problem. The whole point of evolutionary acquisition is that you use mature technologies. You can postpone to the later version until the technology has been matured. That's the point it's here. The idea of evolutionary acquisition is to use mature technology. Postpone immature technology to a later version and include a technology maturation plan. As part of the project, you do stuff to make it more mature. But manage the stuff. Don't use immature technology. And those are basically the principles of evolutionary acquisition. I would like to just end off on a couple of implications. The first point is architecture first. You've got to start with the architecture. The point is, when you want to add some new requirements, perhaps a new module, you don't want to have the whole system fall over. It must be like plug and play. The old saying, excellent principle. If you go into architecture, this is, this is the definition of architecture. It comes from ISO standard, 2011, architecture descriptions. And note, the architecture of a system are the fundamental concepts or properties of a system in its environment, embodied in its elements, next load assemblies of the system, relationships, interfaces, interaction between those elements, and the principles of its design and evolution. Everything is revolving around evolutionary stuff. That's architecture. Fundamentally important. Quote by John Zachman, one of the fathers of architecture. He says, 7,000 years of human history would suggest the only known strategy for addressing complexity and change is architecture. He says, if it gets so bloody difficult that you can't remember how it works, then you have to write it down. In other words, define the architecture. If you want to change how it works, then you start with what you've written down. In other words, you study the architecture. The key to complexity and change always lies in architecture. And this problem has been hammered at home many, many, many times in software engineering, and the hardware people, the systems engineers, are catching on. If you're talking about evolution, you've got to start with architecture, according to John Zachman. Now, again, here is our old acquisition process. Second point I want to make. Technology development. The 
an older term for that was advanced concept demonstration and technology demonstration. And that's the idea, to demonstrate what the technology is capable of. How do you do that? You construct a famous or a so-called technology demonstrator. It's a piece of equipment that can demonstrate what on earth this is capable of. Pointless reading a piece of paper. Try it out. Technology demonstrator. You know the stuff. Now, just see quivers. Problem is this. We build one and it works very well. If the technology demonstrator performs well and has the correct scale, why don't we just start production? I mean, this thing is working. Bloody hell, put it in production. You know, and, and we do this. We take and we bypass all the engineering and manufacturing and we just place it into production. That's what happened to the F-16 in America. That's what happened to the G-5 gun at LIW in, 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 in South Africa. It's a very common situation. What's the problem with that, Alain? If you do that, what's going to happen? You haven't done manufacturing development or production. So what? Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Ah, oh, come on, man. You're a sissy. Nolan? What's the problem? But not version one. You could shoot that down with a pea shooter. No electronic warfare fit, for example. The point is this, the technology demonstrator is supposed to demonstrate a new technology. It's not a total new system, there ain't no logistics for it. There ain't, and it's only a part of the system. It's a quick and dirty demonstration, rest doesn't matter. The quicker, the quicker and the dirtier, the better. Now, if you put that into production, you got a problem. What the hell is your moeilijkheid? <laughs> Tell me about it. Yes, of so-called staff engineers work, work for the boss. Mm. And the boss is not enough staff engineers. Yeah. So that was what you have seen. Absolutely. That to do. Sure. Now, what is your cursus on system engineering to clear for boss? Sommige entiteiten can you do staff engineers with their opleggen. Yeah, naturally. The classic way of handling this is this. Produce Mark I in small quantities to merely satisfy immediate operational requirements. The fewer the better. And then you use the time that you buy to develop Mark II. Classic, op uh, classic solution. Now, that of course is nothing else but evolutionary acquisition. Now, here is an example. Real life example, the so-called predator unmanned aerial, not only looks very, diff, very, what, lelijk, ugly, but there ain't no pilot in there. Unmanned aerial vehicle. Another picture of it, there's the engine at the back there, propeller taking off. A few words on it. 1993, 20 years ago, technology demonstrator. Issue, what is the military usefulness of an unmanned aerial vehicle with a range of a thousand k's and a loiter time of 24 hours. What can that do for us? Now, we can do that on a piece of paper and think about it till we blew in the face. It ain't going to tell you nothing. Try it out, build one, give it to the ops people, and see what happens. That's the idea of a, of a technology demonstrator, which is what they did. No stealth, in other words, there's no electronic, you know, no cross-section reduction, poor survivability, 
Hence, they said, it's got to be an expendable vehicle, which meant in those days, cost of United States dollars five million or less. And they did that. A predator system consists of four vehicles with sensors, a ground control station, which is somewhere in California, a satellite communication suite, and 55 people. It is not autonomous. A pilot or an operator needs to control it the whole time. It's been very successful. First in Bosnia, 1995, then in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Yemen, wherever they've had wars, they've been using this thing. Example, in one year in Iraq, 2,000 sorties, 33,000 flight hours. In one year? Gee, for a technology demonstrator. Wow. Technology demonstrator, and this was so successful, they said, go for it, manufacture it. While during operations, they found out the so-called sensor-to-shooter delay is too long. So they changed the operating concept completely from intelligence surveillance reconnaissance to also include strike. In other words, onboard missiles that it could autonomously kill. You know, if there's a Taliban guy talking on his cell phone, clap him, blocks him. And, and, and that's what they do, as you know. It's a very contentious thing. Um, now... In time, the B version was developed, the MQ-9 Reaper, uses a small turboprop engine that replaces the modified snowmobile engine <laughs> of the Predator A. Huh? A lawnmower engine. It's got to be quick and dirty. We're merely trying to demonstrate the technology. That's all. We know we can put an engine in there. Use a lawnmower. And that's exactly what they did. Here is the Reaper, a completely different thing, bigger, longer, and all that kind of stuff, with a proper turboprop at the back. Very mean-looking thing, There it is, very contentious, predator, death machine, killing is our business, business is good. <laughs> That's no joke, everybody's laughing. It's an extremely contentious thing. The CIA operates this and, and, and okay, uh, let's not go into the politics of this thing. Classic example of evolutionary acquisition. Technology demonstrator into operations and then immediately starting to change it. Good idea. Third point, test and evaluation has to occur throughout the system's life cycle. Development takes place throughout the life cycle, test and evaluation as well. It's a different approach. Stringent configuration management is needed to prevent requirement creep. People always talk about requirement creep. I've never seen it. All I've seen is requirement gallop. <laughs> and, and, and really, the first question is, what's that first increment? If that is too enthusiastic, too ambitious, it's going to fall flat. Now, how do you make sure it's the least that you can get away with? And how do you stringently manage? Because you've got three or four versions in operations at any point in time. So, hey, it can be done, but you need pretty tough-mindedness. Procurement, contracting. How do you contract if the objectives are loosely defined? We don't know what the objectives are. And you go into a fixed-price contract. Huh? What were you thinking of? How do you budget for evolutionary uh, You can't. It causes some very, very serious procurement issues. Project management is undoubtedly 
more complex. It's difficult. In difficult times, budget will be cut since the next version can easily be postponed by a year or two. I mean, the guys have already got something. It's not that they have nothing. Less flexible acquisition project, who did it the old way, will benefit. Because you can't stop them. They've got nothing. So often, you know, this is a, some subtle issues with it. A great deal of pressure in practice, this is now uh, research which is coming out on this topic, a great deal of pressure is put on project managers to maximize the capability of the initial version, thus pushing that version increasingly toward a traditional do-each-step-only-once acquisition, which defeats the object. So guys start playing games, old project management stuff, and, and yeah, it gets getting difficult. Early one morning in South America. Man, it's a tough life. And here's this poor guy, man, against the white wall. Check guy Turner, John. And he's going to be he's gonna be executed. And the officer and Judy ask him, do you have any last words? And the guy says, yes. And he says, fire! Check guy Turner. Check guy Ladies and gentlemen, are there any questions? <laughs> any discussions? <laughs>